0: Hi friends, welcome back to Novels and Naps. I'm your host, Emily, and this is episode 16. Novels and Naps is a sporadically produced podcast uh, designed to help you fall asleep or catch up on all those classes that you said you read but never really did. It's been a while since I updated, not since November when I read through the metamorphosis for all of you lovely listening people. And now things have really changed in the last oh five months Um, it is March 17th and we are dealing with the coronavirus outbreak globally outbreak pandemic what are we calling it now let's just call it a serious problem I am in Ann Arbor Michigan Um, I work in education And our schools are shut down until April at the earliest, with the uh, tentative plan that we return after our previously scheduled spring break would be ending. But things aren't looking great. Um, I actually, I work in special education and I provide behavior support to students. So I also kind of have a job where I can't. Do it virtually, so I'm just at home, sitting, crocheting, staring at my cats, hiding from the general world. It's pretty great. I'm only four days in. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure it's going to get a lot more exciting real fast, real soon. Anyway, I hope that all of you are taking care of yourselves, staying as safe as you can. Being mindful of the impact that viruses and things like this have on others, being kind to the people that are still out in the workforce, trying to support all of us by delivering groceries, working at the supermarket, um, working in hospitals, and all of those necessary infrastructures. I hope that all of you are being kind to them and respectful and doing your best to also keep them safe. Um, yeah. So stay safe, stay healthy if you can, and take care of yourselves. If you're home, like I am just kind of stuck with nothing to do, find a hobby. You can still go outside as of now. You can still go outside for a walk, get some sunshine. Spring is coming even here in Michigan. So Get some vitamin D, read a book, make sure that you're paying attention to how you're feeling and not just, uh, isolating yourself if you can avoid it. I have my sister here and her puppy along with me and my cats and I have family close by, so I'm a lot luckier than other people are, but you know, reach out, go on social media, but be mindful, stay in contact with people watch funny videos read some books make something try and keep your mind busy because really that's the best thing you can do right now I picked something pretty random to start us with this week Um, hopefully I'll be able to finish reading it all to you this week I don't think it's a very long book Um, it might not even technically be classified as a book it may be a novella I haven't really looked into it it was originally published in Red book in about 1922 as a serial, so there are multiple parts. Um, so we'll see how far we can get with it, um, episode by episode. It is The Old Maid by Edith Wharton, who wrote The Age of Innocence. I haven't read anything by her, and yeah, it's set in New York, and hopefully, it will provide some kind of distraction for all of you as you go about completing puzzles or cleaning your house or crying quietly into the fur of your pets you know whatever keeps you going buds and uh side note drink some water don't forget to take your meds you know do all of those important life things just because you're stuck at home or super stressed at work make sure you're taking care of yourself All right, so we're going to jump into part one of The Old Maid. There's a little parenthetical under the title The Old Maid called The 50s, which I think was the uh, text's original publication name, but I could be wrong. Anyway, let's jump in. In the old New York of the 50s, this is the uh, 1850s, not the 1950s, a few families ruled in simplicity and affluence. Of these were the Ralstons. The sturdy English and the rubicund and heavier Dutch had mingled to produce a prosperous, prudent, and yet lavish society. To do things handsomely had always been a fundamental principle in this cautious world, built up on the fortunes of bankers, India merchants, shipbuilders, and ship-chandlers. Those well-fed, slow-moving people who seemed irritable and dyspeptic to European eyes only because of the caprices of the climate had stripped them of superfluous flesh and strung their nerves a little tighter, lived in a genteel monotony, of which the surface was never stirred by the dumb dramas now and then enacted underground. Sensitive souls in those days were like muted keyboards on which fate played without a sound. In this compact society built of solidly welded blocks, one of the largest areas was filled by the Ralstons, and their ramifications. The Ralstons were of middle-class English stock. They had not come to the colonies to die for a creed, but to live for a bank account, the result had been beyond their hopes, and their religion was tinged by their success. An adulterated Church of England, which, under the conciliatory name of the Episcopal Church of the United States of America, left out the coarser allusions in the marriage service, slid over the commendatory passages in the Athanasian Creed, and thought it more respectful to say, Our Father Who, than Which in the Lord's Prayer. Whoa, in the Lord's Prayer was exactly suited to the spirit of compromise whereon the Ralstons had built themselves up. There was in all the tribe the same instinctive recoil from new religions as from unaccounted for people. Institutional to the core, they represented the conservative element that holds new societies together as sea-plants bind the seashore. Compared with the Ralstons, even such traditionalists as the Lovells, the Halseys, or the Vandergraves appeared careless, indifferent to money, almost reckless in their impulses and indecisions old john frederick ralston the stout founder of the race had perceived the difference and emphasized it to his son frederick john in whom he had scented a faint leaning toward the untried and unprofitable you let the landings and the dagonnais and the spenders take risks and fly kites it's the county family blood num we've nothing to do with that look how they're petering out already the men i mean let your boys marry their girls if you like they're wholesome and handsome "'though I'd sooner see my grandsons take a Lovell or a Vandergrave, "'or any of our own kind. "'But don't let your sons go mooning around after their young fellows, "'horse racing and running down south to those damned springs "'and gambling at New Orleans and all the rest of it. "'That's how you'll bind up the family and keep the weather out, "'the way we've always done it.' "'Frederick John listened, obeyed, married a Halsey, "'and passively followed in his father's steps. "'He belonged to the cautious generation of New York gentlemen "'who revered Hamilton and served Jefferson.' who longed to lay out New York like Washington, and who laid it out instead, like a gridiron, lest they should be thought undemocratic, by people they secretly looked down upon. Shopkeepers to the marrow, they put in their windows the wares there was most demand for, keeping their private opinions for the back shop, where through lack of use they gradually lost substance and color. The fourth generation of Ralston's had nothing left in the way of convictions save an acute sense of honour in private and business matters. On the life of the community and the state they took their daily views from the newspapers, and the newspapers they already despised. The Ralston's had done little to shape the destiny of their country, except to finance the cause when it had become safe to do so. They were related to many of the great men who had built the republic, but no Ralston had so far committed himself as to be great as old john frederick said it was safer to be satisfied with three percent they regarded heroism as a form of gambling yet by merely being so numerous and so similar they had come to have a weight in the community people said the ralston's when they wished to invoke a precedent this attribution of authority had gradually convinced the third generation of its collective importance and the fourth to which delia ralston's husband belonged had the ease and simplicity of a ruling class Within the limits of their unusual caution, the Ralstons fulfilled their obligations as rich and respected citizens. Yeah, rich and respected citizens, okay. They figured on the boards of all the old established charities, gave handsomely to thriving institutions, had the best cooks in New York, and when they traveled abroad, ordered statuary of the American sculptors in Rome whose reputation was already established. The first Ralston who had brought home a statue had been regarded as a wild fellow. But when it became known that the sculptor had executed several orders for the british aristocracy it was felt in the family that this too was a three percent investment two marriages with the dutch vandergraves had consolidated these qualities of thrift and handsome living and the carefully built up ralston character was now so congenital that delia ralston sometimes asked herself whether were she to turn her own little boy loose in a wilderness he would not create a small new york there and be on all its boards of directors delia lovell had married James Ralston at twenty. The marriage, which had taken place in the month of September 1840, had been solemnized, as was then the custom, in the drawing-room of the bride's country home, at what is now the corner of Avenue A and 91st Street, overlooking the Sound. Thence, her husband had driven her, in Grandmama Lovell's canary-coloured coach with a fringed hammer-cloth, through spreading suburbs and untidy elm-shaded trees to one of the new houses in Gramercy Park, which the pioneers of the younger set were just beginning to effect. And there, at five-and-twenty, she was established the mother of two children, the possessor of a generous allowance of pin-money, and, by common consent, one of the handsomest and most popular young matrons, as they were called, of her day. She was thinking placidly and gratefully of these things, as she sat one afternoon in her handsome bedroom in Gramercy Park. She was too near to the primitive Ralstons to have as clear a view of them as, for instance, the son in question might one day command. She lived under them, as unthinkingly as one lives under the laws of one's country yet that tremor of the muted keyboard that secret questioning which sometimes beat in her like wings would now and then so divide her from them that for a fleeting moment she could survey them and their relation to other things the moment was always fleeting she dropped back from it quickly breathless and a little pale to her children her housekeeping her new dresses and her kindly Jim. she thought of him today with a smile of tenderness remembering how he had told her to spare no expense on her new bonnet though she was twenty-five and twice a mother her image was still surprisingly fresh the plumless then thought seemly in a young wife stretched the grey silk across her bosom and caused her heavy gold watch-chain after it left the anchorage of the brooch of st peter's in a mosaic that fastened her low-cut fluny collar to dangle perilously in the void above a tiny waist buckled into a velvet waistband but the shoulders above sloped youthfully under her cashmere scarf and every movement was as quick as a girl's mrs jim ralston approvingly examined the rosy-cheeked oval set in the blonde ruffles of the bonnet on which in compliance with her husband's instructions she had spared no expense it was a cabriolet of white velvet tied with white satin ribbons and plumed with a crystal-spangled marabout a wedding bonnet ordered for the marriage of her cousin charlotte lovell which was to take place that week at st mark's in the bowery charlotte was making a match exactly like delia's own marrying a ralston of the Waverley place branch then which nothing could be safer sounder or more well usual Delia did not know why the word had occurred to her, for it could hardly be postulated, even of the young women of her own narrow clan, that they usually married Ralston's. But the soundness, safeness, and suitability of the arrangement did make it typical of the kind of alliance which a nice girl in the nicest set would serenely and blushingly forecast for herself. Yes. And afterward? Well, what? And what did this new question mean? Afterward. Why, of course there was the startled puzzled surrender to the incomprehensible exigencies of the same young man to whom one had most yielded a rosy cheek in return for an engagement ring there was the large double bed the terror of seeing him shaving calmly the next morning in his shirt-sleeves through the dressing-room door the evasions insinuations resigned smiles and bible texts of one's mama the reminder of the phrase to obey in the glittering blur of the marriage service a week or a month of flushed distress confusion embarrassed pleasure, then the growth of habit, the insidious lulling of the matter of course, the dreamless double slumbers in the big white bed, the early morning discussions and consultations through that dressing-room door which had once seemed to open into a fiery pit, scorching the brow of innocence. And then the babies. The babies who were supposed to make up for everything, and didn't, though they were such darlings, and one had no definite notion as to what it was that one had missed, and that they were to make up for. Yes, Charlotte's fate would be just like hers. Joe Ralston was so like his second cousin Jim, Delia's James, that Delia could see no reason why life in the Squatbrook house in Waverly Place should not exactly resemble life in the tall brownstone house in Gramercy Park. Only Charlotte's bedroom would certainly not be as pretty as hers. She glanced complacently at the French wallpaper that reproduced a watered silk with a valance border and tassels between the loops. The mahogany bedstead covered with a white embroidered counterpane, was symmetrically reflected in the mirror of a wardrobe which matched it. Coloured lithographs of the Four Seasons by Leopold Robert surmounted groups of family, daguerreotypes, in deeply recessed gilt frames. The ormelu clock represented a shepherdess sitting on a fallen trunk, a basket of flowers at her feet. A shepherd, stealing up, surprised her with a kiss, while her little dog barked at him from a clump of roses. One knew the profession of the lovers by their crooks and the shape of their hats. This frivolous timepiece had been a wedding gift from Dealey's aunt mrs manson mingott a dashing widow who lived in paris and was received at the tuileries it had been entrusted by mrs mingott to young clement spender who had come by f- back from italy for a short holiday just after delia's marriage the marriage which might never have been if clem spender could have supported a wife or if he had been consented to give up painting in rome for new york and the law the young man who looked already so odd and foreign and sarcastic had laughingly assured the bride that her aunt's gift was the newest thing in the palais royal, and the family, who admired Mrs. and Mingott's taste, though they disproved of her foreignness, had criticized as putting the clock in her bedroom instead of displaying it on the drawing-room mantel, but she liked when she woke in the morning to see the bold shepherd stealing his kiss. Charlotte would certainly not have such a pretty clock in her bedroom, but then she had not been used to pretty things. Her father, who had died at thirty of lung fever, was one of the poor levels. His widow burdened with a young family and living all the year round up the river could not do much for her eldest girl, and Charlotte had entered society in her mother's turned garments, and shod with satin sandals handed down from a defunct aunt who had opened a ball with General Washington. The old-fashioned Ralston furniture, which Julia already saw herself banishing, would seem sumptuous to chatty very likely, she would think Delia's gay French timepiece somewhat frivolous, or even not quite nice. Poor Charlotte had become so serious, so prudish almost, since she had given up balls and taken to visiting the poor. Delia remembered, with ever-recurring wonder, the abrupt change in her, the precise moment at which it had been privately agreed in the family that, after all, Charlotte Lavelle was going to be an old maid." they had not thought so when she came out though her mother could not afford to give her more than one new tarlatan dress and then nearly everything in her appearance was regrettable from the too bright red of her hair to the too pale brown of her eyes not to mention the rounds of brick rose on her cheekbones, which almost preposterous thought made her look as if she painted yet these defects were redeemed by a slim waist a light foot and a gay laugh and when her hair was well oiled and brushed for an evening party so that it looked almost brown and lay smoothly along her delicate cheeks under a wreath of red and white camellias several eligible young men joe ralston among them were known to have called her pretty then came her illness she caught cold on a moonlight sleighing party the brick rose circles deepened and she began to cough there was a report that she was going like her father and she was hurried off to a remote village in georgia where she lived alone for a year with an old family governess when she came back everyone felt at once that there was a change in her she was pale and thinner than ever but with an exquisite transparent cheek darker eyes and redder hair and the oddness of her appearance was increased by plain dresses of quakerish cut she had left off trinkets and watch chains always wore the same grey cloak and small close bonnet and displayed a sudden zeal for visiting the indigent the family explained that during her year in the south she had been shocked by the hopeless degradation of the poor whites and their children and that this revelation of misery had made it impossible for her to return to the light-hearted life of her young friends. Everyone agreed with significant glances that this unnatural state of mind would pass off in time, and meanwhile old Mrs. Lovell, Chatty's grandmother, who understood her perhaps better than the others, gave her a little money for her paupers and lent her a room in the Lovell stables, at the back of the old lady's Mercer Street house, where she gathered about her in what would afterward have been called a day-nursery some of the destitute children of the neighbourhood. There was even among them the baby girl whose origin had excited such intense curiosity two or three years earlier when a veiled lady in a handsome cloak had brought it to the hovel of cyrus washington the negro handyman whose wife jessamine took in dr Lanskill's washing dr Lanskill, the chief medical practitioner of the day was presumably versed in the secret history of every household from the battery to union square but though beset by inquisitive patients he had invariably declared himself unable to identify jessamine's veiled lady or to hazard a guess as to the origin of the hundred-dollar bill pinned to the baby's bib. The hundred-dollars were never renewed, the lady never reappeared, but the baby lived healthily and happily with Jessamine's pickaninnies, and as soon as it could toddle, was brought to Chatty Lovell's day-nursery, where it appeared, like its fellow-poppers, in little garments cut down from her old dresses and socks knitted by her untiring hands. Delia, absorbed in her own babies, had nevertheless dropped in once or twice at the nursery, and had come away wishing that Chatty's maternal instinct might find its normal outlet in marriage. The married cousin confusedly felt that her own affection for her handsome children was a mild and measured sentiment compared with Chatty's fierce passion for the waifs in Grandma Lovell's stable. And then, to the general surprise, Charlotte Lovell engaged herself to Joel Ralston. It was known that Joe had admired her the year she came out. She was a graceful dancer, and Joe, who was tall and nimble, had footed it with her through many a reel in Scottish. But the end of the winter, all the matchmakers were predicting that something would come of it. But when Delia sounded her cousin, the girl's evasive answer and burning brows seemed to imply that her suitor had changed his mind, and no further questions could be asked. Now it was clear that there had, in fact, been an old romance between them, probably followed by that exciting incident, a misunderstanding. But at last all was well, and the bells of St. Mark's were preparing to ring in happier days for Charlotte. Uh, when she has her first baby, the Ralston mother's chorus. Um, so just to note, this is an old work. There are going to be some terms in here that we do not use now because they are racist and incredibly problematic, but again, I can only read books in the public domain. Be mindful, just bear with me when words like pick-a-ninnies, uh randomly appear in the text, because I'm just reading and reading. And I don't pre-read everything or anything that I read to you guys. So what you get is what you get. Um, Suspicions. Uh, Is this random child with the $100 bill actually Charlotte's love child with uh, Joe Ralston? My thoughts say yes, but let's continue. Chatty, Delia exclaimed, pushing back her chair as she saw her cousin's image reflected in the glass over her shoulder. Charlotte Lovell had paused in the doorway. "'They told me you were here, so I ran up. "'Of course, darling, how handsome you do look in your poplin.' "'I always said you needed rich materials. "'I'm so thankful to see you out of grey cashmere.' "'Delia, lifting her hands, removed the white bonnet from her dark polished head "'and shook it gently to make the crystals glitter. "'I hope you like it. It's for your wedding,' she laughed. "'Charlotte Lovell stood motionless, "'and her mother's old dove-coloured poplin, "'freshly banded with narrow rows of crimson velvet ribbon, "'an ermine tippet crossed on her bosom, and a new beaver bonnet with a falling feather, she had already something of the assurance and majesty of a married woman. And you know your hair certainly is darker, darling, Deely added, still hopefully surveying her. Darker? It's grey. Charlotte suddenly broke out in her deep voice. She pushed back one of the pomaded bands that framed her face and showed a white lock on her temple. You needn't save up your bonnet. I'm not going to be married, she added with a smile that showed her small white teeth in a fleeting glare. Delia had just enough presence of mind to lay down the bonnet, marabout up, before she flung herself on her cousin. "'Not going to be married? Charlotte, are you perfectly crazy?' "'Why is it crazy to do what I think right?' "'But people said you were going to marry him the year you came out, and no one understood what happened then, and now—' "'How can it possibly be right? You simply can't!' Delia incoherently cried. "'Oh, people!' said Charlotte Lovell wearily. Her married cousin looked at her with a start. Something thrilled in her voice that Delia had never heard in it or in any other human voice before. Its echo seemed to set their familiar world rocking, and the Axminster Carpet Axminster Carpet? Cool, sounds fancy. Actually heaved under Delia's shrinking slippers. Charlotte Lovell stood staring ahead of her with strained lids, and the pale brown of her eyes Delia noticed the green specks that floated there when she was angry or excited. Charlotte, where on earth have you come from? She questioned, drawing the girl down to the sofa. Come from? Yes, you look as if you had seen a ghost, an army of ghosts the same snarling smile drew up charlotte's lips. i've seen joe she said well oh chatty delia exclaimed abruptly illuminated you don't mean to say that you're going to let any little thing in joe's past not that i've ever heard the least hint never but even if there were she drew a deep breath and bravely proceeded to extremities even if you've heard that he's been that he's had a child of course he would have provided for it before the girl shook her head i know you needn't go on men will be men but it's not that Tell me what it is. Charlotte Lovell looked about the sunny, prosperous room as if it were the image of her world, and that world were a prison she must break out of. She lowered her head. I want to get away, she panted. Get away? From Joe? From his ideas, the Ralston ideas. Delia bridled. After all, she was a Ralston. The Ralston ideas? I haven't found them so unbearably unpleasant to live with, she smiled a little tartly. "'No, but it was different with you. "'They didn't ask you to give up things.' "'What things?' "'What in the world?' Delia wondered. "'Had poor Charlotte that anyone could want her to give up? "'She had always been in the position of taking "'rather than of having to surrender.' "'Can't you explain to me, dear?' Delia urged.' "'My poor children. "'He says I'm to give them up,' cried the girl in a stricken whisper. "'Give them up? "'Give up helping them?' "'Seeing them. "'Looking after them. "'Give them up altogether.' He got his mother to explain to me after after we have children he's afraid afraid our children might catch things he'll give me money of course to pay someone a hired person to look after them he thought that handsome charlotte broke out with a sob she flung up her bonnet and smothered her prostrate weeping in the cushions delia sat perplexed of all the unforeseen complications this was surely the least imaginable And with all the acquired ralston that was in her she could not help seeing the force of joe's objection could almost find herself agreeing with him no one in new york had forgotten the death of the poor henry vanderluten's only child who had caught smallpox at the circus to which an unprincipled nurse had surreptitiously taken him after such a warning as that parents felt justified in every precaution against contagion and poor people were so ignorant and careless and their children of course so perpetually exposed to everything catching no joe ralston was certainly right and charlotte almost insanely unreasonable but it would be useless to tell her so now instinctively delia temporized after all she whispered to the prone ear if it's only after you have children you may not have any for some time oh yes i shall came back in anguish from the cushions delia smiled with matronly superiority really chatty i don't quite see how you can know you don't understand "'Charlotte Lovell lifted herself up. "'Her collar of Brussels lace had come undone "'and hung in a wisp on her crumpled bodice, "'and through the disorder of her hair "'the white lock glimmered haggardly. "'In her pale brown eyes the little green specks "'floated like leaves in a trout pool. "'Poor girl,' Delia thought, "'how old and ugly she looks, "'more than ever like an old maid, "'and she doesn't seem to realize in the least "'that she'll never have another chance. "'You must try to be sensible, Shaddy dear. "'After all, one's own babies have the first claim.' that's just it the girl seized her fiercely by the wrists how can i give up my own baby your your delia's world again began to waver under her which of the poor little waves dearest do you call your own baby she questioned patiently charlotte looked her straight in the eyes i call my own baby my own baby your own take care you're hurting my wrist chatty delia freed herself forcing a smile your own my own little girl the one that jessamine and cyrus oh. Delia Ralston gasped. The two cousins sat silent, facing each other. But Delia looked away. It came over her with a shudder of repugnance that such things, even if they had to be said, should not have been spoken in her bedroom, so near the spotless nursery across the passage. Mechanically, she smoothed the organ-like folds of her silk skirt, which her cousin's embrace had tumbled. Then she looked again at Charlotte's eyes, and her own melted. Oh, poor Chatty, my poor Chatty. She held out her arms to her cousin. The shepherd continued to steal his kiss from the shepherdess, and the clock in the fallen trunk continued to tick out the minutes. Delia, petrified, sat unconscious of their passing, her cousin clasped to her. She was dumb with the horror and amazement of learning that her own blood ran in the veins of the anonymous foundling, the hundred-dollar baby, about whom New York had so long furtively jested and conjectured. It was her first contact with another side of the smooth social surface and she sickened at the thought that such things were, and that she, Delia Ralston, should be hearing of them in her own house, and from the lips of the victim. For Chatty, of course, was a victim. But whose? She had spoken no name, and Delia could put no question. The horror of it sealed her lips. Her mind had instantly raced back over Chatty's past, but she saw no masculine figure in it but Joe Ralston's and to connect joe with the episode was obviously unthinkable someone in the south then but no charlotte had been ill when she left and in a flash delia understood the real nature of that illness and of the girl's disappearance but from such speculations to her mind recoiled and instinctively she fastened on something she could still grasp Joe ralston's attitude about chatty's paupers. of course joe could not let his wife risk bringing contagion into their home that was safe ground to dwell on. Her own Jim would have felt in the same way, and she would certainly have agreed with him. Her eyes travelled back to the clock. She always thought of Clem spender when she looked at the clock, and suddenly she wondered if things had been different what he would have said if she had made such an appeal to him as Charlotte had made to Joe. The thing was hard to imagine, yet in a flash of mental readjustment, Delia saw herself as Clem's wife she saw her children as his she pictured herself asking him to let her go on caring for the poor waifs in the mercer street stable and she distinctly heard his laugh and his light answer why on earth did you ask you little goose do you take me for such a pharisee as that yes that was clem spender all over tolerant reckless indifferent to consequences always doing the kind thing at the moment and too often leaving others to pay the score There's something cheap about Clem, Jim had once said in his heavy way. Delia roused and roused herself and pressed her cousin closer. Chatty, tell me, she whispered. There's nothing more. I mean, about yourself, this thing, this... Clem Smender's voice was still in her ears. You loved someone, she breathed. Yes, that's over. Now it's only the child. And I could love Joe in another way. Chatty Lovell straightened herself, wan and frowning. I need the money; I must have it for my baby, or else they'll send it to an institution. She paused. But that's not all. I want to marry, to be a wife like all of you. I should have loved Joe's children, our children. Life doesn't stop. No, I suppose not. But you speak as if, as if, the person who took advantage of you. "'No one took advantage of me. "'I was lonely and unhappy. "'I met someone who was lonely and unhappy. "'People don't all have your luck. "'We were both too poor to marry each other, "'and Mother would never have consented, "'and so one day, one day before he said goodbye, "'he said goodbye? "'Yes, he was going to leave the country. "'He left the country knowing? "'How was he to know? "'He doesn't live here. "'He'd just come back, come back to see his family "'for a few weeks.' She broke off, her thin lips pressed together upon her secret. There was a silence. Blindly, Delia stared at the bold shepherd. "'Come back from where?' she asked at length in a low tone. Oh, "'What does it matter? You wouldn't understand?' Charlotte broke off in the very words her married cousin had compassionately addressed to her virginity. A slow blush rose to Delia's cheek. She felt oddly humiliated by the rebuke conveyed in that contemptuous retort. She seemed to herself shy, ineffectual, as incapable as an ignorant girl of dealing with the abominations that Charlotte was thrusting on her. But suddenly, some fierce feminine intuition struggled and woke in her. She forced her eyes upon her cousins. You won't tell me who it was? What's the use? I haven't told anybody. Then why have you come to me? Charlotte's stony face broke up in weeping. It's for my baby. My baby. Delia did not heed her. "'How can I help you if I don't know?' she insisted in a harsh, dry voice. Her heartbeats were so violent that they seemed to send up throttling hands to her throat. Charlotte made no answer. "'Come back from where?' Delia doggedly repeated. And at that, with a long wail, the girl flung her hands up, screening her eyes. "'He always thought you'd wait for him,' she sobbed out. "'And then, when he found you hadn't, and that you were marrying Jim—' He heard it just as he was sailing he didn't know it till mrs mingott asked him to bring the clock back for your wedding stop stop delia cried springing to her feet she had provoked the avowal and now that it had come she felt that it had been gratuitously and indecently thrust upon her was this new york her new york her safe friendly hypocritical new york was this james ralston's house and this his wife listening to such revelations of dishonor charlotte lovell stood up in her turn I knew it. I knew it. You think worse of my baby now instead of better. Oh, why did you make me tell you? I knew you'd never understand. I'd always cared for him, ever since I came out. That was why I wouldn't marry anyone else. But I knew there was no hope for me. He never looked at anybody but you. And then, when he came back four years ago, and there was no you for him anymore, he began to notice me, to be kind, to talk to me about his life and his painting. She drew a deep breath, and her voice cleared. That's over. All over. It's as if I couldn't either hate him or love him. There's only the child now, my child. He doesn't even know of it. Why should he? It's none of his business. It's nobody's business but mine. But surely you must see that I can't give up my baby. Delia Ralston stood speechless, looking away from her cousin in a growing horror. She had lost all sense of reality, all feeling of safety and self-reliance. Her impulse was to close her ears to the other's appeal as a child buries its head from midnight terrors. At last she drew herself up, and spoke with dry lips but what do you mean to do why have you come to me why have you told me all this because he loved you charlotte Lovell stammered out and the two women stood and faced each other slowly the tears rose to delia's eyes and rolled down her cheeks moistening her parched lips through the tears she saw her cousin's haggard countenance waver and droop like a drowning face underwater things half guessed obscurely felt surged up from unsuspected depths in her It was almost as if, for a moment, this other woman were telling her of her own secret past, putting into crude words all the trembling silences of her own heart. The worst of it was, as Charlotte said, that they must act now. There was not a day to lose. Chatty was right. It was impossible that she should marry Joe, if to do so meant giving up the child. But in any case, how could she marry him without telling him the truth? And was it conceivable that, after hearing it, he should not repudiate her. All these questions spun agonizingly through Delia's brain, and through them glimmered the persistent vision of the child, Clem Spender's child, growing up on charity in a negro hovel, or herded in one of the plague houses they called asylums. No, the child came first. She felt it in every fibre of her body. But what should she do? Of whom take counsel? How advise the wretched creature who had come to her in Clement's name? Delia, glanced about her desperately and then turned back to her cousin you must give me time i must think you ought not to marry him and yet all the arrangements are made and the wedding presents there would be a scandal it would kill granny Lovell." charlotte answered in a low voice there is no time i must decide now delia pressed her hands against her breast i tell you i must think i wish you would go home or no stay here your mother mustn't see your eyes "'Jim's not coming home till late. "'You can wait in this room till I come back.' "'She had opened the wardrobe and was reaching up "'for a plain bonnet and heavy veil. "'Stay here, but where are you going?' "'I don't know. "'I want to walk, to get the air. "'I think I want to be alone.' "'Feverishly, Delia unfolded her paisley shawl, "'tied on bonnet and veil, "'thrust her mittened hands into her muff. "'Charlotte, without moving, "'stared at her dumbly from the sofa. "'You'll wait,' Delia insisted, "'on the threshold.' Yes, I'll wait. Delia shut the door and hurried down the stairs. She had spoken the truth in saying that she did not know where she was going. She simply wanted to get away, from Charlotte's unbearable face and from the immediate atmosphere of her tragedy. Outside, in the open, perhaps it would be easier to think. As she skirted the park rails, she saw her rosy children playing under their nurse's eye, with a pampered progeny of other square dwellers. The little girl had on her new plaid velvet bonnet and white tippet, and the boy his Highland cap and broadcloth spencer. How happy and jolly they looked! The nurse spied her, but she shook her head, waved at the group, and hurried on. She walked and walked through the familiar streets stacked with bright winter sunshine. It was early afternoon, an hour when the gentlemen had just returned to their offices, and there were few pedestrians in Irving Place and Union Square. Delia crossed the square to Broadway. The Lovell House in Mercer Street was a sturdy old-fashioned brick dwelling. A large stable adjoined upon opening an alley such as Delia on her honeymoon trip to England had heard called a mews. She turned into the alley, entered the stable court, and pushed open a door. In a shabby whitewashed room a dozen children gathered about a stove, were playing with broken toys. The Irish woman who had charge of them was cutting out small garments on a broken-legged deal table. She raised a friendly face, recognizing Delia as the lady who had once or twice been to see the children with Miss Charlotte. Delia paused, embarrassed. I, "'I came to ask if you need any new toys,' she stammered. "'That we do, ma'am, and many other another thing, too, though Miss Charlotte tells me I'm not to beg of the ladies that come to see our poor darlings.' "'Oh, you may beg of me, Bridget,' Mrs. Ralston answered, smiling. "'Let me see your babies. It's so long since I've been here.' The children had stopped playing and huddled against their nurse, gazed up, open-mouthed at the rich, rustling lady. One little girl, with pale brown eyes and scarlet cheeks, was dressed in a plaid alpaca frock, trimmed with imitation coral buttons that Delia remembered. Those buttons had been on Charlotte's best dress, the year she came out. Delia stopped and took up the child. Its curly hair was brown, the exact colour of the eyes, Thank heaven. But the eyes had the same little green spangles floating in their transparency. Delia sat down, and the little girl standing on her knee gravely fingered her watch-chain. "'Oh, ma'am, maybe her shoes will soil your skirt. The floor in here ain't none too clean.' Delia shook her head and pressed the child against her. She had forgotten the other gazing babies and their wardress. The little creature on her knee was made of different stuff. It had not needed the plaid alpaca and coral buttons to single her out. Her brown curls grew in points on her high forehead, exactly as Clement Spenders did. Delia laid a burning cheek against the forehead. "'Baby want my lovely yellow chain?' Baby did. Delia unfastened the gold chain and hung it about the child's neck. The other babies clapped and crowed, but the little girl, gravely dimpling, continued to finger the links in silence. "'Oh, ma'am, you can't leave that fine chain on little Teeny When she has to go back to those blacks—' "'What is her name?' "'Tina,' they call her, I believe. "'It don't seem a Christian name, Harley.' Delia was silent. What I say is her cheeks is too red, and she coughs too easy, always one cold in another. Here, Teenie, leave the lady go. Delia stood up, loosening the tender arms. She doesn't want to leave go of you, ma'am. Miss Chatty ain't been in today, and the little thing's kind of lonesome without her. She don't play like the other children, somehow. Teenie, you look at that little lovely chain you've got. They're there now. Goodbye, Clementina, Delia whispered below her breath. She closed— sh- "'Goodbye, Clementina,' Delia whispered below her breath. "'She kissed the pale brown eyes, the curly crown, "'and dropped her veil on rushing tears. "'In the stable yard, she dried them "'on her large embroidered handkerchief "'and stood hesitating. "'Then, with a decided step, she turned toward home. "'The house was as she had left it, "'except that the children had come in. "'She heard them romping in the nursery "'as she went down the passage to her bedroom. "'Charlotte Lovell was seated on the sofa, "'upright and rigid, as Delia had left her. "'Chatty, chatty, I've thought it out. "'Listen!' "'Whatever happens, the baby shan't stay with those people. "'I mean to keep her.' "'Charlotte stood up, tall and white. "'The eyes in her thin face had grown so dark "'that they seemed like spectral hollows in a skull. "'She opened her lips to speak, "'and then, snatching at her handkerchief, "'pressed it to her mouth and sank down again. "'A red trickle dripped through the handkerchief "'onto her poplin skirt. "'Charlotte! Charlotte!' Delia screamed, "'on her knees beside her cousin. "'Charlotte's head slid back against the cushions, "'and the trickle ceased.' She closed her eyes, and Delia, seizing a vinaigrette from the dressing table, a vinaigrette? What? From the dressing table, held it to her pinched nostrils. I swear it says vinaigrette. Um, the room was filled with an acrid, aromatic scent. Okay, yeah, vinaigrette. Charlotte's lids lifted. Don't be frightened. I spill s- I, Wow, this is getting difficult to read. Charlotte's lids lifted. Don't be frightened. I still spit blood sometimes. Not often. My lung is nearly healed, but it's the terror. No, no, there's to be no more terror. I tell you, I've thought it all out. Jim is going to let me take the baby. The girl raised herself haggardly. Jim? Have you told him? Is that where you've been? No, darling, I've only been to see the baby. Oh. Charlotte moaned. Leaning back again, Delia took her own handkerchief and wiped away the tears that were running down her cousin's cheeks. You mustn't cry, Chatty. You must be brave. Your little girl and his how could you think but you must give me time i must manage it in my own way only trust me charlotte's lips stirred faintly the tears don't dry them delia i like to feel them oh that's creepy um the two cousins continued to lean against each other without speaking the ormolu clock ticked out the measure of their mute communion in minutes quarters a half hour then an hour the day declined and darkened the shadows lengthened across the garlands of the axminster and the broad white bed There was a knock the children's waiting to say their grace before supper ma'am yes eliza let them say it to you i'll come later as the nurse's steps receded charlotte lovell disengaged herself from delia's embrace now i can go she said you're not too weak dear i can send for a coach to take you home no no it would frighten mother and i shall like walking now in the darkness sometimes the world used to seem all one awful glare to me no no it would frighten mother, and I shall like walking now, in the darkness. Sometimes the world used to seem all one awful glare to me. There were days when I thought the sun would never set, and then there was the moon at night. She laid her hands on her cousin's shoulders. Now it's different. By and by, I shan't hate the light. The two women kissed each other, and dearly whispered, Tomorrow. And that is where I will leave us for today because I think that is enough reading as much as I can do right now anyway. Whatever. Um, You can find me on Facebook and on Patreon under Novels and Naps. Thanks. Sleep well.